welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at Dive. Dive is a fully outsourced BI as a service solution, providing an enterprise grade data platform and services for gaming studios on all platforms. Dive's BI tools and service of data experts replace the need for a full in-house BI team, saving studios hundreds of thousands of dollars yearly. If you're interested in learning how Dive can unleash the power of data in your game's business and save money doing so, simply head to dive.games or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker. And with me, I have fantastic two panelists, as always. Now, Aaron, of course, as you know, from Novik here, and Anil from First Light Games, pushing out that uh, Blast Royale. As best he can. How's it going, guys? So you got the uh, skeleton up for Halloween there, Aaron? Yeah, thanks for calling it out. It's Halloween time, which is the best holiday, as almost no one agrees with me on. So yep, got the Halloween decorations out, pulled my skeleton out of the closet today. I'm sure we all have skeletons in our closet. (laughs) Is is that part of the theme of the episode? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe it will be. You can tie it back in. But yeah, Halloween's coming, which means candy is coming. And I'm still very much a child when it comes to candy. So excited. Yeah, definitely. I, I Halloween's my favorite as well. But as a diabetic, it's also a sad oh. holiday for me. Take one or the other. But uh, fantastic weather. I wish it lasted longer. I don't know about you, Anil. I, I know the weather could be a little wonky over there around this time. So we'll see on that one. But we've got some uh, some great topics for you today. I mean, not, uh, not a ton of them, but some definitely meat to chew into around Aaron's favorite topic, especially Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, <laughs> which can uh, hopefully finally be put to rest here. We'll see. And then a little bit of the sadder side, some more layoffs, but we're going to look into what uh, what could be coming from there. And then uh, we'll dig into some holiday game predictions and, and talk about the holiday season. Keep it festive there. Why don't we just start off with trying to hopefully put a, a tombstone on this Microsoft acquisition? Yeah, it's funny because it's a light news week. It feels like nothing is going on. But also at the same time, this is one of the biggest possible things to ever go on in the industry where this, where the largest gaming deal ever is finally fully approved and done. That is very big news. And I don't know what we'll do with ourselves now that we don't have it to talk about. It's been the staple of the podcast for at least 2023 all the way through, but 2022 before that. And of course, as has been discussed previously, in 2024, we'll really start to see the synergies with between these companies begin to click, namely Activision Blizzard's games going to Game Pass. And we'll see what kind of lift that has on Game Pass next year. And also, especially when next year's Call of Duty comes out, we'll see what sort of effect Game Pass may have on that game's unit sales and how the predictions shake out there in terms of whether people were too optimistic or pessimistic about how Call of Duty unit sales will be impacted. So that's a big question. Obviously, 
Xbox will not be making any more big acquisitions, at least anytime soon. Maybe there'll be some tuck-ins. One thing that I'm, I'm thinking about going into the future is anytime Xbox or probably even other major gaming companies go in to make mega deals, they're just going to be met with so much friction and headwinds from regulators that they're just going to be thinking of new ways to grow. And so sort of like what we've seen with the Tencents and NetEases of the world, and we've discussed before how in the face of regulatory scrutiny, they're not leaning as much into M&A, and instead they're leaning into just creating a bunch of new studios from scratch. It wouldn't surprise me if that becomes a new growth pillar of Xbox at some point over the next couple of years that, that comes into focus a bit more clearly. But really, that's all speculation. For now, the deal is done. We can stop talking about it so much and really just like sit back and watch and listen for like the next real steps of this saga to unfold for us to dig into more into the future because they're going to be important. They're going to have an impact on the industry. They just need some time to play out from here. Yeah, I'd be interested in uh, what you think about the, the potential side effects from the compromises that Microsoft had to make. During some of that, I mean, a lot of them were just kind of like, uh, yeah, we'll let these kind of like tiny little cloud things like, you know, have whatever. But like, for example, the, the Ubisoft deal where they had to let Ubisoft be in charge of their cloud stuff. There was a number of like small compromises around like the deal for like 10 years of Call of Duty and these kinds of things that like, I, I'm wondering if you guys see any short term consequences or this is like, eh, we'll deal with that 2025 kind of problem. That's what I think is coming later. I think we may not even really see the true ramifications until the next console cycle begins. But I still think Microsoft will be more than satisfied that they've got this wrapped up now and they can start putting their nefarious plans <laughs> into action right now. I, I pretty much expect it to be status quo as for now. I do actually have a question for Aaron. You mentioned that you feel that that will be the end of Xbox acquisitions and maybe big acquisitions for the short term. Is there maybe a counter argument to that just to say that currently games industry, I think it's fair to say is not in the best place in terms of its overall health. We do see a lot of studios closing. I definitely buy your argument how a strategy could be to form new studios because it's often the best time and there's a lot of great talent that's out on the market that can't be swallowed up to start putting those investments now. But I also feel like let's say this acquisition was formally proposed this year right now. I, I feel the valuation would be even lower than it was before. And we always said that maybe they went for it because they saw that kind of friction and the sort of trouble that Activision was happening. And maybe they thought, wow, we could get 10 billion off this deal. <laughs> I feel like they could get more than that. So I'm just curious. And if so, maybe are there any more predictions that in terms of what another big acquisition could look like? First of all, with Xbox specifically, it, when I say that there probably won't be like big acquisitions, I'm, I'm saying more more them and maybe just like the other like mega companies out there like big tech, just because anytime they try to do anything <laughs> at all, there's a ton of friction. So for a company like Microsoft and Xbox to make more moves, they probably can't make another move anywhere close to the size of Activision Blizzard again. I also do think that they pushed for the deal to go through because it's a pretty good deal that they got on Activision. And I'm not sure if it were to go through today that it actually would be the same price because Call of Duty in particular has re rebounded and has like built out its ecosystem much more than a couple years ago. So yeah, maybe they do some tuck-ins or something. But more broadly, I totally see M&A picking up in some kind of way. It's definitely been quiet over the past year. And that's mainly because valuations across the board have just reset and companies have you know been trying to figure out what makes sense for these private companies to even be 
trading at and money has been tightening as a whole. So there's just more hoops to jump through to see if you're going to take on debt to make a deal happen at higher interest rates or sell shares to make a deal happen at a lower stock price than you had before. There's just more headwinds and more tricky math to, to get those kinds of deals done. Unless you have a lot of cash sitting around, which makes it easier. And that's why we see like the savvy games groups of the world, which have $38 billion in dedicated cash to, to put towards making deals. Like They're fine to buy a company like Scopely, even though others might not be. I do think that we will see more M&A pick up again. It's inevitable. And even if it isn't happening at the same frequency or magnitude that we saw before, it's, it's, not, it's not done. And we could see you know, any deal happen at any time. For example, like we're already hearing the rumblings again that many of Disney's advisors are pushing Disney to, to make some type of big deal into the games industry. I think the timing of that is a little tough because Disney is just trying to figure itself out and especially itself out regarding the future of television across cable declining, Disney Plus slowing down, what a streaming bundle even looks like, what are they going to do with Hulu, the ESPN losing leverage. Like They have so many big TV-related questions to think through that could change, that could lead to spinoffs or restructurings that like change what Disney looks like in that regard. So I have a hard time seeing them jump into gaming in a huge way before figuring that out. But once they do, actually, one of in one of our very first podcast episodes a couple of years ago, one of the predictions I made was that once all of these big entertainment companies grow tired of streaming as like the narrative for the next big thing, they're going to pivot that to gaming next. And I, I feel pretty good about that a couple of years on at this point because streaming has proven like very costly. We're going to see a bunch of these companies either shut down streaming, merge together, pull back expenses, rethink how that fits into a cable bundle. And once that's all figured out, yeah, I do think gaming is going to be the next big thing for them. Warner Bros. Discovery, they went from considering spinning off gaming to Hogwarts Legacy being a big hit and like, oh, okay, maybe we can actually make some money from this. Um, Netflix obviously getting into gaming in bigger and bigger ways. And I think Disney is such an obvious fit with the IP that they have to not replace licensing with just in-housing game development, but adding in-game development on top. And so whether that's acquiring an EA or something else, at some point that actually could make a lot of sense for them to do. So I think that's one area that I would be looking at. And just really quickly, I know I've been talking for a while, but the second area that uh, I would just mention is private equity. I think private equity is sleeping on the games industry right now. And we'll talk about this a bit more later in the episode about how, like, obviously a bunch of companies have reset their cost expectations, their forecasts for the future. When that happens, especially in like big troubling ways, like we see with companies like Embracer, usually that's a signal for private equity to come in and find their footing somewhere in the industry and make their bets on what can be streamlined and turned around very effectively. And I do think there are opportunities in the games industry for that to happen. But as a whole, private equity has been very quiet. In fact, basically non-existent in gaming. And so I don't know if it will come in a big way, but it could. And so I'm not going to put that possibility past these big private equity companies. And if that's you or an activist investor or something, hit me up. I have a ton of ideas for you. But 
that's just like another category that I think should pick up. But I'm curious what you both think too in terms of what M&A categories or even just specific deals could make sense or we could see. Yeah, I have to say, it's funny you stole my thunder a little bit of the EA one. I think that's the mm. obvious one. The, them and maybe Ubisoft, but I think we've discussed this several times on this roundtable, how Ubisoft, some of the deals they did recently sort of make it seem like that that's no longer possible. So I, I don't think that will happen. I, I do think as soon as the Activision one was announced, everyone must have thought EA, right? That's the next most obvious one to go. They've been treading water for a long time. Interesting to see how EAFC, perhaps understandably right now, is a little bit maybe not performing as, as well as FIFA last year. I think that was always expected. But still, again, maybe that makes it the right time for a kind of acquisition. I think we are getting into this kind of heavy consolidation phase. So I feel like in terms of absolute mega deals, that's one of the few that's out there. One that I always mention a lot is Capcom, a Japanese company. I feel that that's undervalued given their kind of performance. It's something that I could see, especially something that a savvy games group going in. I think maybe some more slightly under the radar stroke hipster choices for you who who like these kind of hot take ones is that I still feel that other companies that maybe could go, I think Mihoyu who do um, Genshin Impact and Hanaki Star Rail, maybe they're already past the point where they can be acquired. But I still personally think that it's absolutely phenomenal to have seen that in the last sort of five years, the emergence of such a superstar studio from China that isn't NetEase or Tencent owned already. So that feels to me like I'm kind of surprised it hasn't already happened, really, that someone hasn't tried to invest in. Another one is Lilith, who are based out in Hong Kong and China. Again, they, I think, have got a, a real kind of talent for making kind of new genres and stuff. That's someone that I could see. And uh, yeah, maybe for my sort of like slightly alternate take, I don't know if you've seen, but like one of the sort of big success stories that I feel isn't talking talked about enough over the last sort of year is the success of Monopoly Go, which has come from absolutely nowhere. Now, of course, that's made by Scopely, so there's obvious acquisition. But there is a game that's been fairly consistent in the top 100 for a long time called Solitaire Grand Harvest. And that's actually made by a Danish company called Super Treat. And I feel that goes under the radars. I don't think that's going to be a mega acquisition, but could I see them getting acquired by like a Playtica or someone like that? I absolutely could, but um, slim pickings, I would say. I would say too, like if we see more consolidation, obviously Xbox and Activision merging together is huge and Disney looking to get in in a big way, potentially that would also be huge and take another big player off the table, which raises the question of like, does it even make sense for if this consolidation is happening for like someone else, like a take two to even be left standalone or would it push someone like PlayStation to, to make an even to attempt making an even bigger move even defensively just to be like well if this is yeah how they the may have to right now, they may have yeah they yeah. could they can make some kind of big deal as well i think consolidation um is a good bet and it's always made more sense to me for this consolidation to exist around like entertainment ecosystems where it kind of centers around companies that have incredible ip whether it's it comes from a movie or it comes from a video game, wherever. And they just find ways to take that IP and leverage it across these different mediums, whether it's anime, whether, whether it's theme parks, etc. And so seeing more of these like entertainment ecosystems be thoughtful and come together in bigger ways and add gaming as a component to that, that makes a lot more sense to me. And it always has than just like the growth by acquisition mindset purely within gaming where like inorganic growth is a company strategy. Like I don't think inorganic growth is a strategy 
purely like that can't be your singular strategy within gaming or sure you just come up with a collection of games but you don't get those same like competitive advantages that you get from like a broader ecosystem or that you get by just focusing on like truly incredible ip and so i think that maybe that's like stating the obvious at at this point because some of that's already played out but to this year, I feel that, like, especially with the Disney thing, the reason why that makes so much sense is the Super Mario Brothers movie doing such amazing numbers. That's the first time that you've seen a gaming IP translate into a non-gaming behemoth, right? And I, that would open my eyes. Like, oh, wow. Okay. So whereas before you made the IP in the film and then you might make a game and the game was successful, like Hogwarts Legacy, which is still a really big hit as well. Now it's been shown that the other way around is also possible. And therefore, you'd be looking, oh, wow, if we don't even have the capability to do that seems like a pretty bad idea. And the fact that you've got Nintendo Land as well. Um, I have a friend who's visited and sent me the shots. Uh, very jealous. I'd love to go. It looks <laughs> amazing. So, And that, again, would tie into it. So, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. So, yeah, I guess bottom line, I mean, we won't predict everything. And you can't because... <laughs> things happen like you know you know just like random companies out there like app loving like app loving is always making moves but whether it wants to still merge with unity or go a completely different direction like who knows there's like a bunch of companies like that so we can't predict everything but yeah i mean the lull that we are in right now besides activision xbox it's temporary it's definitely consolidation is still very much a thing for better or worse yeah i probably expect 2024 to show more signs of life, but it probably just depends on the economic environment that we'll be seeing as well. I'd be curious if someone tried to scoop up Devolver, one of these other ones that have been like minor successes that are like having a little bit of more of a rough time at the moment that no one's really thinking about as a big one to pick up, like in, in terms of having a portfolio and some experience, stuff like that. I don't know what would be a great fit for them as they have a bit of a punk attitude that might be hard in, in some of the bigger companies. But one thing you did maybe think of, Aaron, when you're talking about the um, sort of like media landscape with it is something like a crunchy role games, like with the success we've seen of anime just in general across games and, you know, platforms like Crunchyroll, being able to push that out to the kind of current generation of like kids and teens and like going into a, uh, like young adults, stuff like that. I could see some kind of play like that being actually pretty profitable it, it, and it kind of sideswiping Netflix in a way, basically. Because Netflix is, is definitely tried to push into anime quite a few times and somewhat successfully to some extent, right? Like obviously cyberpunk was huge in terms of like that being, you know, and it was talking about video games into movies. And that was a perfect example of one that was like a little more low key than the theatrical release, but still like I think pretty significant in driving sales of a game that had been considered a flop to kind of come back and make it at least worth uh, CD Projekt Red's time to continue to revamp that game. But the other thing that you guys maybe think about as well is the a lot of times when we're talking about these big acquisitions that like seem like they can't happen and stuff like that, a lot of it's down to like government regulation and we look at the FTC and things like that. But I do wonder if there's like opportunities in other countries, like you guys talk about like China to China acquisitions, right? Where it's within the Chinese government and other maybe other governments don't have a say. We don't have like, you know, EU trying to block it or US trying to block it. Is there maybe more opportunity in some of these other countries, either within the country itself or just across countries that's maybe a little smaller without having to deal with such uh, antitrust kind of issues. It's hard to speak to China, so I won't. Japan, I think, is also just like, <laughs> like uniquely its own, has like its own business culture that just thinks differently about being acquired. Yeah, in, in general, you only really get mergers there, right? Or an acquisition yeah. from another Japanese company to the other Japanese company. They really don't like going external, but you never know. Yeah, beyond that, everything feels more 
Western is sort of in the zone that we were talking about that kind of falls into the same like ecosystems, the same type of IP. We could definitely see more small M&A. And there are still like acquirers out there, whether in mobile or even just some of those companies that have been more of those growth by acquisition companies that still have it in their DNA to be always looking at deals. So we'll definitely see more of that kind of thing. But that's not, I don't think, where like the industry defining deals will come from. I guess the final question, then uh, they'll try to put the hatchet in the uh, the Microsoft acquisition. So as like we've been trading up to it before even the acquisition was announced, things like that, it, it seemed like an inside Activision Blizzard, Activision had been starting to take over and eat Blizzard, so to speak, right? Like it seemed like a lot of the chatter from the inside was really Activision people taking over, like pushing Blizzard to do more what Activision is doing. For example, like Blizzard had these long timelines to build their games. They could take their time. They were building like these really AAA polished things. And then that culture started sounding like it was kind of eroding as people left, as Activision kind of started taking a bigger side of things. And, you know, that seems to still be the case as far as I can tell, right? Like, obviously I'm not on the inside, but I wonder going into Microsoft, uh, does that exacerbate it? So for example, like Activision's obviously been much more console friendly than Blizzard has, right? Blizzard traditionally has been more desktop or even trending into mobile with Hearthstone. Uh, and obviously like Dablos has drifted into console pretty heavily starting late, like in three, stuff like that. But it's as then you move into to Microsoft, who's running a console business with Xbox, does that then push, you know, obviously with the bigger success with Call of Duty, then all of a sudden Blizzard people kind of like whatever remains out and it becomes basically Activision. I think there's always an impact culturally when acquisitions happen. Um, And it kind of depends how it's done. But yeah, like in this case, Bobby Kotick is going to step aside as CEO. And that in and of itself is going to have a huge impact on giving Xbox and Activision a chance to just sort of like reset how they want to work together from like a CEO to CEO kind of level. But even like more broadly, what I would say, it's always a question with acquisitions of what you want to centralize and what you want to keep decentralized in decision making and operations. And so you see at one extreme, like even with like a savvy games group, which is more of a holding company. And, you know, it seems like, you know, when they acquire a Scopely, like they just kind of leave Scopely be so far and they're just still doing their thing. But then you have the other side of the spectrum where a Unity and an Iron Source merge together and nothing is decentralized. The whole point is to centralize as much as you can and like get the synergies out of it. So I think that what you have in mind for how centralized or decentralized decision-making becomes and operations are, has a huge impact on how cultures play out. And I'd also say, too, that sometimes it changes over time. Embracer is like a perfect case study of this. Embracer, I think, really came in with the mindset of hire awesome like leaders with great teams to build games and leave them to do that. But when hard times hit, it caused a reset that forced, you know, Embracer leadership to really change the way that it views running its company and working with leadership and stepping in to make to make more centralized decisions than I think many of the decentralized teams wanted. So that's sort of a roundabout way of answering your question, Devin. But well, I think, think there the are Beth- always the relationship with Bethesda could be an example of like what we could expect because they've been running that for a while and it seems like there's it's pretty tight, at least in terms of what Starfield was. 
maybe, but Pete Hines just retired. I don't know what that says. <laughs> I, I, I would, yeah, I would say the opposite. I've, I've got to be honest. My, my understanding is that it's already quite a bureaucratic process working with Microsoft. That I know developers that have personally worked with both Microsoft and Sony in terms of relationship, and they say it's way more hands-on and has upset some people. It depends on how you've done things. Some people are okay with that process, but that would be my slight warning: is that we haven't really seen a games company yet be of the size and stature of this new mega juggernaut that's just appeared, and that would be my initial worry. And I would say that like two things that don't do too well in terms of making games is bureaucracy and creativity. There's always a painful line. At the same time, they've got proven IPs. I'm sure they'll make really killer new stuff in those IPs, but I think it might be a little bit painful. And look, you saw a lot of talent bleed from Blizzard when they joined Activision, and I would expect to see much of the same. Well, speaking of people leaving companies, voluntarily or not, we unfortunately have a lot of the involuntary kind happening recently. We've talked about it a little bit it's a previous episodes, but I think it's still going on and we, we don't want to ignore that here. Yep, I'll take this. Yes, it's more unfortunate news. This time around, it's Frontier, who are also based in the UK. The UK has actually been hit quite badly, I would say, of recent, given Epic getting rid of Mediatonic, a lot of employees there recently too. So this time around, they've announced they're going to make 20% cut across the whole company. They cited the underperformance of their F1 manager game that kind of underperformed the market. I have to say, I, I didn't even know Frontier made that game. That's a bit of a surprise to me. But yeah, they're more famous for Elite Frontier is the big game that they're famous for. So unfortunately, that's rather sad news. Maybe some positive uh, news. We've heard that Avalanche Studios has set up a new studio in Montreal, Canada. So perhaps it's not all doom and gloom. But I think really, we don't really want to dwell on this topic too much, but I think it is something that we should discuss in the round table, which is like, clearly games industry is in a bit of a contractual phase at the moment. Why is that? How long do we think it will last for? What is needed to get out of it? And hopefully we can do that soon. What are the panel's thoughts? Of course, it goes without saying that our thoughts are of anyone who's been laid off. Hopefully we can help you land on your feet. I've seen a lot of good responses on LinkedIn, especially in the UK community of trying to help people out. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a tough situation at the moment. I think we've talked a lot in the past about why this is happening, which is several reasons, right? Like post-COVID effects, ATT and mobile and then, you know, just like the era of cheap money coming to an end, which has ripple effects for like how companies forecast their growth. And then if they have to change, that has ripple effects of how they think through their cost and hiring, which is a lot of what we've been seeing today. And it's always a process to unwind. Some companies are better than others. Some companies are just like, depending on where they are and the, the value chain or whatever their strategy is, like have to unwind more than others. And so I think a lot of companies have already like made most of the adjustments that they've needed. Some companies, again, I, I don't mean to overly pick on Embracer again and again in this conversation, but like, you know, they're going to, that unwinding process is going to continue to take time and it's going to come in different phases. So like the end is not over and it just depends where you are, right? Web3, whatever's going on there, that's driven more by like, when are the games going to come out that are going to like bring traction to the next level? It has less to do with the macro and more about the micro. In, in venture markets, I think seed stage companies are in a pretty good start. They're getting like good footing in right now, but like later stage venture companies that raise money at higher valuations and had certain burn rates that they were running with, they're probably a lot of those are probably stressing out and have to reset themselves because they can't raise money at higher valuations, um, which you know, if they want to go back and raise money, it messes with your cap table 
messes with like investor returns at different parts of the stack, etc. And you probably have to, you know, cut back and rethink your burn so that you can last longer with what you have or with what you're going to raise next. So even within the startup world, it's different. And for like public companies or just like these big private companies like an Epic, even it, it depends. Companies like EA are always going to find reasons to restructure and there's going to be ripple effects from that on individuals. But others, the embracers, it's going to take more time. And there are even others in between that probably just need like one, like one set of chopping and reorienting, probably like we've seen with Epic. Maybe we can talk about them some more. But there probably are a handful more of those. But last thing I'll say here, like a lot of this is bottoms up, like what's going on specifically in the games industry, reorienting around your strategy and your growth for the future. But there still is a macro element to it, too, where a lot of companies have set back, but also like with interest rates where they are and governments trying to manage inflation without it like screwing up demand and unemployment and all of those things, whether like governments can actually stick the landing is a huge open question, at least in the US. And historically, I think the data suggests that it will be a hard landing, meaning that it will lead to consumer demand contraction, more unemployment, and maybe that has an effect on gaming. I mean, who really knows exactly how this unfolds? But again, like when you take these uncertainties into account as a company, like you really have to be thinking like, all right, maybe things don't exactly turn around a a quarter or two from now, but you have to start planning out like six quarters from now. Is that when the turning point really is that you can bet on more? Is it eight somewhere in that zone? You don't really know. But for if I were, you know, advising startups or even public companies, that's how I'd be thinking. Just assume that you're not going to see maybe like we're seeing a bottoming out, but we're not necessarily going to see like a return to to reaccelerated growth or tons of hype in different zones for at least another year by now to, to play it safe. So anyways, those are my views on that. I'd be curious if, if you guys, either you guys have any idea on the general roles that are being cut or the, the types of cuts that are being made specifically. What is the fat that's being trimmed? Is it just failed game projects that like are now no longer a good bet? Is it like, uh, you know, extra roles that just are not necessary that were more for a growth phase? What is the fat? New that projects. Yeah, yeah, new projects it is. That's the TLDR. So anything that is already maintained, you double down, you keep that going. Anything that is like this won't be released for another 18 months, two years, it's gone. And you redistribute it because just, yeah, when are you going to see the return on it? You can't afford to turn it. I mean, some studios maybe you can take, but in general, that is that is a kind of set. I think we saw it already maybe even a year ago of Playtica saying that they were no longer going to make new games and just look at supporting. That's a very common stance across the industry right now where they'd rather buy a game that's already working rather than take the opportunity risk to try and get something working because it's not just the financial situation but we mentioned before as well the other things like scaling games i think is quite difficult what is the the winning formula one right now and there's two really which is ip and the other one is to sort of have a a strong kind of like community-esque kind of you know, seven guys in a garage make something and it somehow gains traction and then you get that kind of good story. There isn't this kind of in-between that there was before and I think that's where to figure it out. It's almost like, you know, if you think about games development, how we had like AAA games and quadruple A games, then we had the kind of like free-to-play, but what happened is there was this other tier of game, like the B-tier game that used to exist that kind of went the way of the dodo and maybe it's a similar kind of case with marketing. If you're going to go, like Grand Theft Auto 6 will 
probably be the biggest game of all time. How big would a marketing budget be? Probably the biggest marketing budget of all time, right? And, and that will work out. That's on the top end of the spectrum. A game that comes from nowhere, but has some cool gameplay that just, you know, picks up traction on TikTok, maybe blows up. But in between those two things, how do you get that to work? And that I feel is a challenge for the entire industry, actually, which maybe we should talk about more. But yeah, it's the, the new projects, the ones getting cut. And I would take it one step further too. New projects getting cut obviously has an impact on people on those teams, but also even just others throughout an organization like recruiters and others that were brought on to help sustain like the growth of a business and, and like other functions. But even more so than that, like when companies, they set these expectations for outsized growth and build their teams around that, around those new projects. And when those new projects get pulled, a lot of these like companies just have to like reset their direction as a whole, which leads to like just changing strategies, changing focuses. And in that change is where you see a lot of the hurt. And so you can look at an EA, for example, with mobile as they've struggled with mobile, as the market has become harder to succeed in mobile to some degree, like they have, they made more drastic changes to reorient their mobile strategy, which has meant a lot of cuts and focusing elsewhere in the business. You look at what Epic is doing, they're betting on a bunch of different places and building up like an ecosystem of services. And a lot of that hasn't panned out. And they're realizing that their future is maybe a little different than what they were expecting in the past. And so betting more on like the UEFN side of things, which is a lower margin business than just Fortnite going gangbusters and all of these additional tools and services, building more of the metaverse ecosystem. I'm sure they still believe that in some way. But again, changing market dynamics have forced them to shift focus. And that's just led to changing needs of people needing to change your like cost structure. And I think you could go on down the list of like different companies that have just had to change in some fundamental way as they review their future. And Obviously, cutting new projects has an impact, but there are ripple effects across organizations that that happen as well. Or what do you think these the people that get laid off, right? Let's say there's just a variety of different roles, different types of talent. Like in this current market, does it make sense to then go, hey, let's just try and start our own startup? Or does it make sense to continue to try and look for a job? Like what's what is the strategy then for people that are like good talent, obviously the bad talent, obviously hopefully takes up another job, but the good talent, like what do they do with at this point? Did they just go hobbyist? Like in this particular phase of the market, what makes the most sense? That That's a really good question. I think in general, it, it, it could be good and idealistic to expect more startups to come out. But I think there is also another thing in the background that there is a kind of global cost of living crisis going on too, which makes that tricky, which makes can you afford to skunk works your own game for a year, even if you've got the most talent that's out there, given that everyone's costs are going up? So you may not see that so much. I, I still think we'll see a, a few, though, because it does make sense. There surely will be some people that are successful. But unfortunately, a lot of times these exits are not through choice, right? So that kind of makes it difficult. But Aaron mentioned it earlier at the kind of top of the show, like maybe this is the time now to start kind of writing those checks. If, if we're not expecting any movement for eight quarters was mentioned there, you know, well, why not put the investment down there? You won't get much of a better return and that talent still exists out there. I hope we see it. I think it would be good to do, but 
I don't think we will see as much of it as we might have seen in previous cycles like we did before, just because we're in a kind of uncertain position globally. We've had financial meltdowns before, but I don't think we've had it with you know, more than that going on right now as well. Like the post-COVID thing, unfortunately, wars going on. These things do make a big difference. So it is a bit of an issue. What about like uh, contract development work? It seems like something that is a bit of gap fill for a lot of people that don't have a big game that they're going to be ready to push forward with. some big dream they can get funding for, but they still want to build their way up to it. But also a lot of these AAA companies have had trouble hitting their deadlines, needing a lot of outside. It almost reminds me of like, uh, you know, Marvel movies, all these other things are like having to have like 10 different studios involved just to finish on time. Is there maybe some opportunity there then in terms of like being kind of a gap fill? Like, hey, I've got talent. I worked at these kind of companies. Maybe even the company you just got laid off from go do some some uh, some gap fill work there or you know one of these kind of smaller studios that sort of are on ongoing contract basis with some of the bigger ones i hope you're right but again i fear that i seem to have noticed recently i feel if anything has gone the other way where i've seen even some of the big devs rushing things to market a little bit and clearly cutting costs and i'll give you a good example i feel like mortal kombat one is a good example of that and uh, quite good gameplay but i think even the fans themselves there are some quite questionable bugs or reused animations and to me that feels like a game that they probably would have spent another three to six months on normally but they didn't why didn't they do it so i don't think that they go i, I think everyone's in cost-cutting mode i mean look look at where these redundancies came from they come from some of the biggest companies out there but i think that is still a good option for those that are people that are affected that is one of the better ways to keep yourself going and companies tend to prefer that too, right? They don't need to commit. And to be honest, if you maybe that is something that the bigger companies need to learn that rather than just say taking on 2000 new people, maybe take your time a little bit and, and plan that growth out. Because I think at the same time, some of these key decision makers maybe do need to be a bit more reflective over what was done there because people went crazy, right? And was there a need? I guess we, we, it was all because COVID is the future, right? Everyone's going to stay at home and play games. But that always felt like a bit of a false narrative, right? It was a, a very unique point in time. It was never going to last forever. Last thing I'll say on this is I'm actually optimistic. Obviously, it's a hard time. It's a reset. And in resets, like, you know, the negative changes on individuals do happen. But like the games industry is still very much a growing industry with all sorts of new interesting trends and platforms that are going to need all sorts of new tech, new gaming experiences. And there are lots, there's so many like interesting younger teams being formed and being scaled up that need people. Like there still are a lot of companies hiring <laughs> right now, but even like, you know, zoom forward a year from now, maybe we'll be in a, a different spot or two years from now. I think it's inevitable that as the games industry grows, there's a reshuffling effect that's happening now, but the demand for talent is absolutely not going away at all. So yeah, I think there's maybe too much doom and gloom sometimes like in the moment, but when you kind of zoom out and look bigger picture, there's there's not as much to to worry about as it seems. As long as we don't hit our Atari ET landfill moment, right? Like in this industry, we're fine. <laughs> that was kind of the one big uh, reset I think we had. Uh, other than that, it seems like it's it's still the new form of entertainment, as you pointed out, right? Like movies have gone with their ups and downs as well in their industry over time as being one of the other new mediums before games. I guess it's not a big surprise. I just, I do hope that obviously people can weather the storm. It does sound like though, like, in general, games is one of those kind of industries where if people like did good work and there were good people. Like it's there's a sort of like brotherhood 
sort of effect where people will kind of find each other jobs and things like that. Does this seem like then, you know, we'll just wrap it up here, but like a good time for then people to really start kind of working that LinkedIn, not just for like posting your resume, but really like doing some networking on there because it sounds like, as you said, there's hiring going on. It's just finding it now. Like maybe you need to move to another country. Maybe you need to do remote work for a while or contract work, but like that opportunity might be just isn't obvious and requires like a, a little bit of networking now. Now that now we can pl- fly different places in the, the post-COVID age, maybe there's some opportunity there. Moving forward into the uh, hopefully not dismal holiday season, I just want to see what you guys' you know, thoughts are on what might be a big success this holiday. Obviously, there's been some interesting releases over the year of various <laughs> quality levels. So like definitely different things coming out. Obviously not a ton of big releases, I don't think, in, in November, December necessarily. But what are your guys' uh, bets in terms of what you think will be the big winner? Uh, Anil, it looks like you're ready to go. Yeah, I can give you a few. I mean, you say there's no big ones, but I, I think like Nintendo still have Super Mario Brothers Wonder to come out. and That's in like two days. Ma- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's still just in time. And, and Mario Brothers at Christmas, it, it may not be, you know, it is one of the 2.5D ones rather than 3D, but I'd still expect that to. Because what I always observe is games like that, or Harry Potter is another one, they go under the radar, like people of our kind of age and demographic don't talk about it. And you look at the end of the year and you go, wow, that actually sold uh, 17 million copies. How did that happen? So I think those are pretty likely to be good. The other one I call out, I think Spider-Man 2, because the movie did really well earlier this year. It was like, and it's funny, it's not just like games that may be a bit doom and gloom, but movies are in that phase too, right? It feels like we've moved on from superhero syndrome and we might be moving on. But the Spider-Man movie really did surprisingly well, that amazing art style. So I could see this game picking off the back tail of that. By all accounts, you know, it's developed by Insomniac, really good traversal mechanics as always. So I think these games could all do pretty well. I agree. I think those games are going to pop off in... In a big way. Obviously, Switch, there's just so many people with Switch consoles now. And Super Mario Wonders getting great reviews. Spider-Man 2 has also been getting really awesome reviews, better than its predecessors. And that one's only selling on PS5, so it has a bit more limited install base. But I think it's going to have a really high attach rate. So completely agree with you on that. And then just like a couple other obvious mentions, right? Like Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is going to be huge, as always. The EA Sports FC game came out recently, and that's just going to continue steamrolling throughout the holidays. I think that's probably like those like encapsulate like the mega hits that we'll see like top the charts. But I think um, maybe just to call out a couple others, I think that it's actually going to be like a pretty good or pretty interesting quarter for like horror games. Alan Wake 2 is coming out. I think that one's going to sell pretty well for that genre but the other thing i wanted to call out is silent hill ascension which is genvid's new massively interactive live event or mile it's launching on on halloween and i'm pretty sure it's going to be their best yet it's also the first time that a mile like this has used a popular video game franchise and tapped into a gaming fan base to create an interactive streaming series and it won't be a massive money maker like these other names that we're mentioning but it's probably going to be one of like the most innovative experiences in the realm of gaming that we will see this year and and especially in this quarter. I'm really looking forward to trying that out and just seeing what it's all about. And they're coming out like before like you had to play their events through like Facebook or something, but now they're like launching their own like apps that you like play through. So I'm just curious to see what this is evolving into. I guess those would be kind of like the the other two I would just 
note. But yeah, I think Anil nailed it on the main games. Is there anything, Devin, like on the Web3 side <laughs> or even like for both of you, like on the mobile side of note? Or is the the main action like these big like AAA console PC launches? Web three, I don't think is going to launch anything on time, uh, and I think th- this year would be considered on time at this point for just about anything that was been working on. Obviously, nothing like Star Atlas or anything coming out could be a surprise. I, the, like, I mean, uh, off the grid, for example, was pretty off the grid for a while until they like popped out with something that was pretty pretty cool looking. But at the same time, like I feel like this is. Obviously, it should take a long time to make a high quality game. So we're kind of stuck in that period. And in mobile, you, you never know. Like we we have like a Supercell trying to just throw out some games now and then as well, right? We have that new one they're going to pop out with. And there's always a chance Clash Mini could finally go to the global launch. Like they're, they've got like an interesting pivot they're trying to do on their monetization and like power scaling. I don't know if that will work, but I would love to see if that would. And that, that could be like a real big surprise. I think coming out of like a very different style after their loot box dropping they did before. So I, I think there's possibility within the mobile space like that. Uh, speaking of Mortal Kombat, that Onslaught one just came out too. It was just like another one of those kind of like ho-hum games. And I think we've seen a lot of that kind of just copy and pasting, like I said earlier, and like everyone kind of playing it safe. And I think that might prevent some real big surprise hits from coming out, unfortunately, on the mobile space. Yeah, although that said, like I say, I mentioned it earlier, but Monopoly Go is the number one top grossing game in the States. For a mobile game to achieve that, that is not done too often. It's actually the first time that's happened in quite a while that a brand new kind of game, with, is it a new genre? Not really. It takes elements from other things. It's it's kind of coin master rest, but still for a new debutant. And they're scaling extremely aggressively. These days, it's hard to understand how much they are. But some of us in this space think they might be spending two million a day on marketing, for example, right? And so Christmas is the biggest festive period. I don't know about you, but we used to play a lot of Monopoly around the Christmas period. That was good for it. So I could see them making a really big push. And I'd be interested to see what numbers they have faster. I think they'll be quite eye-opening. I think that's a game that people shouldn't really undersell, really. I I think as well, some of these big IP holders that they may be looking at and go, wow, it just shows you that there are these mega hits potentially that can be untapped if you you get the right team and, and give it some good faith. So those ones. But yeah, I don't expect to see anything else. And yeah. As of Web3, I very much agree. I think that the soonest I think you'll see some of these big things is maybe around the middle of next year. But I will say that there are, it is getting to that point in time where these guys are going to have to launch, right? They can't just sit back forever. And I'll be curious as to what happens when it does. And they'll probably all come around together to get a magnifying response, but won't be this Christmas, not this festive period. Yeah. And then that's like on the game side of things, on the, the company side of things, or even just like other stuff. Like we, we talked about Disney and I think I still am curious to see like what Disney is going to be up to in the next couple months, few months. I think we'll get some clarity on just like their direction, which may or may not have like an impact on like the, the games industry. But I think that's a company that we have to be paying attention to, even though it's not really a games business. Roblox is like another company that I mean, I'm kind of like always paying attention to because they're like always like interesting, right? In terms of what they're building in their platform. But they just launched on Quest not too long ago. They launched on the PS5. And I think, you know, seeing some of those like results over like the holiday period and such and just seeing what kind of momentum Roblox is able to build across new platforms. I think that'll be just interesting to see and to just better gauge Roblox's future and more areas and unity will they get a new ceo by the end of the year will we have any clarity or new thoughts on their direction it's possible 
we'll see. And then the last thing I would say is just like on the hardware front, I think the Steam Deck is still going to continue to be a great seller over the holidays. And even just like, I think we should keep an eye on the Quest 3. Not that it's going to like automatically bring VR to the mainstream, but it looks like a really compelling device that honestly just looks fun to play on. But even more so than that, like it's sort of bringing like mixed reality games like beyond like the Niantic kind, like the kind that you actually wear through a headset, like to market and enabling them for the first time. And again, that's not going to change the world or change the industry anytime soon. But starting to see like the early signs of like what people could come up with for like these mixed reality games and what people gravitate towards over the holiday period within the like the a revamped quest ecosystem, I think is going to be pretty interesting to see. Yeah, I remember Quest 2 being a big holiday seller. That was one of those ones that was comprised, like that that it sold as well as it did as like kind of a Christmas present. I think there, people were starting to see all these activations of accounts and people actually starting to pop up with a lot more than was expected. And I don't know, I mean, we might be in a tighter environment now where people see that as too, like more of a luxury than we did than with Quest 2. So that might be like something that kind of hamstrings it a bit. But obviously it, it does have like potential to be pretty interesting and I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see in terms of like consumer hardware side, right? Where we're going to be hard to tell. And then also, like you guys, are, you know, talking about uh, some of these sales too that might be even be hard to track to determine, like you know, the the Silent Hill one, which is more of like a brand impact than a, an actual like retail sale. Or you know, you talk about Alan Wake too. That's not even going to have an, a retail release, if I remember correctly. That was one of the ones that was going to go digital only. So it'd be interesting to see like if we even get like really accurate numbers on some of this stuff with some of retail kind of taken out of the mix. Some of these things, and obviously like mobile one, that's a hard one to tell, right? If it's obviously there's no upfront sales for most of that. And, uh, and you know, depends on that, that IAP reporting, but it should be a, a very interesting holiday just because maybe like not a ton of competition either. So maybe a good opportunity for someone who could launch something polished within the next month or so, right? Try and get it ready for Black Friday if that's still the thing when everyone know, actually man. buys stuff now. Or, I don't know if it's like <laughs> a dead so, thing there's now. There's so many games that have come out recently. Yeah. There's, I feel like there's oh, so yeah, much that competition now, that's right, just lingering. Sure. But that's the thing now is I wonder, like, a lot of people that, like, all the games that have come out in October, like, are, is everyone already going to have those that wants them, right? Like, is is are people still depending on their parents to buy them these games for Christmas? Like, I'm sure there is, of course, right? I don't mean, like, it's not happening at all, but I wonder if that it has that shifted at all, where if gamers now, like, core gamers are, like, 35 and up, I don't think they're waiting for their parents to buy them the game for Christmas. They just buy when it comes out when they want to play it. To an extent, right? Obviously, if you're like in a family situation, a lot of times you'll still like, you'll be like, oh, I'll get this for myself for Christmas or my significant other will because we've got a you know, budget for the kids and all that stuff. So there's different situations. But I, I do wonder if there's any shifting we've seen in how the holidays impacts game sales for games that have come out in like October or earlier. We'll see, right? Like one of those things. But anyways, uh, you know, a lot to look forward to for the holidays. Hopefully a lot of this stuff will actually just be like bottoming out and turn around. Might be kind of cool quiet but in the meantime spend time with uh with your loved ones of course and celebrate and i want to thank of course you guys for joining me and all the listeners out there thanks for tuning in as usual and enjoy your weekend and we'll catch you on the flip side if you enjoyed today's episode whether on youtube or your favorite podcast app make sure to like subscribe comment or give a five-star review and if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, 
make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.